You are listening to the Religica Theo Lab podcast in the Center for Ecumenical and Interreligious Engagement at Seattle University. Hi, this is Mike Thee, Internal Communications Manager in Marketing Communications at Seattle University, and I'm here with Dr. Michael Trice, the Spare Halligan Professor and Director of the Center for Ecumenical and Interreligious Engagement. Dr. Trice has been with Seattle University since 2011 and has served in many leadership roles over that time. His many areas of teaching and scholarship include theology, ethics, religion and race, and yes, modern ecumenical movements and interreligious dialogue. As Seattle University's Center for Ecumenical and Interreligious Engagement begins its second year, the time seemed right to check in with Dr. Trice to learn more about what the center is all about and what its plans are for the coming year and years ahead. Dr. Trice, thanks for taking the time for this. Oh, Mike, thanks so much for the opportunity just to be in conversation with you and to to engage in such important discussion about where the center's going in, in this university. Great. So let's start there. The Center for Ecumenical and Interreligious Engagement. Yeah. How did it come about and what does it do? What's it up to? It's a question I receive often and I feel daily grateful to be a part of a team and a director in a center in this progressive Jesuit Catholic university where we have this heritage of a commitment to the larger ecumenical and interreligious and you know intercultural landscape that has been a part of the kind of deeper legacy that has been in if so formative to the Jesuit self-understanding over the last 500 years. And so in Seattle, Washington, here we are in the Pacific Northwest, and this center, as you just mentioned, Mike, it's a year old. And in the, in the first year, I think we had determined that uh, we would be looking over and around at other Jesuit universities at uh, Loyola Marymount, for example, or at the Pastoral Institute for Loyola University in Chicago and and others. You know, we have some tremendously uh, successful and, and interesting institutes and centers that are in Jesuit universities that are doing similar kinds of work, or at least in the same kind of orbit of, of work. And we wanted to see what level of excellence uh, they aspire to. And we realized that we were also positioned uniquely here in the Pacific Northwest in the so-called kind of nun zone, which is to say there's lots of, kind of spiritual representation out here. There are people who identify with one particular religious or philosophical tradition or many or not a particular tradition or, or teaching. And that all of that creates a richness that is part of the waters that we swim in here. And what we learned first is we didn't want to create a center that was in any way modeled after, say, a historical institute or center that would take up residence in a, in a university. We wanted to be unique. We wanted to not just have programs, but we wanted to ask ourselves and our constituencies, those around us, like, what does it mean in the 21st century, with all the challenges that we see in the world, to address those challenge points, to create the kinds of educational opportunities and, and webinars and, and workshops and fellowships that would respond to those challenges, and not just with programs, but by creating a center that felt like, you know, if you'll allow the expression, a, 
a rich biodiversity, a kind of internal ecology so that if you looked at the center, if you came to our website, if you walked through the things that we were offering, you would feel like you were in an environment that was nutrient rich, that there was lots that was happening there. There were ideas were growing there. So for instance, we have a, a theological laboratory called Religica at religica.org. And, and we try out new ideas there. We have podcasts that take up residence there that are planted there. Or if you looked at our scholars program, which I hope we get a chance to talk about, you would see in those spaces the kinds of resources that are available to uh, local communities to use, such as resources that uh, respond to the climate crisis that is plaguing local communities all around the world. And you know, we've created that resource, for instance, in collaboration with the United Nations Environmental Program uh, Faith for Earth Initiative. And we wanted that ecology or that kind of biodiversity to feel like it was both content rich and integrated, which is to say, we don't just want to have one program next to another. We want these things to reference one another. We want people to feel like they get an education where they can say, well, I, I've learned something over here, and, but there's something growing over here too. And I want to move from a podcast to a resource to another kind of opportunity. And, and for us, this was something like greening the center, you know, if I can put it that way. We wanted to have a center in the life of this university that was doing something that's very close to the, that's actually core to the vision statement of this university. We want to imagine and we want to shape with excellence. And how we shape and how we green the center in that way is very much at the heart of the students and the staff and the faculty who are around the center. And I think we would refer to that as an artful shaping, a kind of art of engagement. And, you know, it's very much close to the heart of Pope Francis when he refers to this kind of art of encounter or art of engagement as an art of conversation. And it makes me think of your work, Mike, in terms of internal communications and management. And I imagine it's also true for you in, in terms of the, the art of conversation or engagement in communications at Seattle University. Would that also be the case? Yeah, absolutely. I think campus communications have the ability to help set the stage for the kind of artful dialogue you're talking about there. I think it starts with looking across the landscape of the university at all the activities and good work that's taking place and trying to kind of synthesize out of all that some kind of a story. It's an evolving and never-ending story that's still being written, of course, but a shared sense of who we are as an institution, what our purpose is, and where we want to go. And I think that at their best, at least, campus communications can provide that, that rallying point or compass that helps members of the community see how their work fits with the mission and values of the university. The story's there. We don't create the story, but I think as communicators, we have a role to play in unearthing it. And when we develop that common language and hopefully connectedness, that hopefully moves the campus community along to the next stage of what you're talking about, which is facilitating this art of engagement or conversation among the campus community, a community that's always working together, ideally to figure out what it wants to be. But this art of engagement, it really depends upon relationships and interconnectedness. And CIE seems very much 
embracing of that opportunity to work in concert with other entities of the university. Can you talk about the center's commitment to collaborating and working with other campus partners a little bit? Absolutely. And and if we even start with what you mentioned, uh, the story is there. The story is there. And I, I think the way that we've worked collaboratively is often, you know, we'd like to say it's strategic and it's planned, but sometimes it arrives through the spontaneous moment. And perhaps even before I'd say a word about campus partners, you know, an example that comes to mind for that spontaneous moment where the story arrives and you just have to you have to trust you're doing the right thing is uh, in the middle of the pandemic in the spring of 2021, when Northern Italy was experiencing, as we all recall, you know, just a, an influx of the you know, virus and a lot of people were dying and were really in harm's way and, and hurting. And demographically, there was an older population in that region as well. And so they were especially vulnerable. And, and the center had an opportunity through using, really targeting its, some of its social media to different parts of the world with messages that we thought would be uplifting during that time. And sometimes these forms of collaboration are, you don't always know who to ask, but you want to do something that you feel will be uplifting. And it was at that time where everything was being canceled. Opportunity to spend time outside was canceled. The universities were, you know, we were not meeting in person. How do we collaborate together? And we were hungry to do that. Our entire team was virtual. And we made the determination that we would reach out to that area in northern Italy with a simple message on a black screen and white letters that said, love is never canceled. And 130,000 people responded to that message on Facebook. They shared it. There were like, I don't know, 15,000 likes on it, but we could see the, the stats on that. We knew that it was being shared and that it was, you know, first down to southern Italy and then, you know, to Portugal and France and other things. And I think the way the center collaborates is that we don't do it expecting that other people or other places, wherever they may be, either on campus or elsewhere, will necessarily be grateful or collaborate back. I think that the gift of giving oneself as a center, or maybe even just in our human walk, is because it's the right thing to do. And collaboration and messaging signals of hope to others like this example in Northern Italy or, or collaborating on campus with other partners is all about doing the right thing. And I think at this university, the right thing is to make sure that this center is attuned to the hunger points in the world right now. So. We try to collaborate around those hunger points. It reminds me of how humans used to gather around, you know, fire circles and tell each other stories. So what are the stories that matter today? Like, so for instance, this fall, you know, we're collaborating with uh, the United Way and with the Office for Diversity and Inclusion at Seattle University in order to co-partner and host Latasha Brown, who is the co-founder of uh, Black Voters Matter. And she'll be here at Pickett Auditorium on October 5th to talk about, you know, racial equity and inclusivity and voting rights. As we know, voting districts uh, have been, uh, you know, racially gerrymandered and politically gerrymandered and, and voice and vote matters in a fragile democracy. And so those are all areas where we know that we can collaborate. It matters if we care about unity in our communities, whether that be ecumenical or interreligious or intercultural, wherever that comes from. So that's a place where we look to partners both on campus and off to really, to, to use that example again, to gather around the fire, to gather around the circle and do what we know is essential work. 
and that is going to involve all of us. It involves what uh, we often refer to, and I think the listener may know, is the cura personalis, you know, the whole person, this kind of full focus on on the whole person in our midst, the whole community where the story resides. I love what you said earlier. You know, the story's out there. And uh, collaboration means thinking that and believing that that person, whether they're right in front of us or way over there in Italy or wherever they may be, are a fully personified, embodied human being. And we, our collaboration is actually another word we might use, Mike, is we care. We care, and that care shows that we trust and we can be trusted. And universities have an opportunity to do that. So the center is very much about that. But I imagine from a communications perspective at SU, also in your work, I'd be interested, if I may, you know, there's the two or three features of care or collaboration from centers that, you know, that I might say, but how do we demonstrate in this and maximize trust? You know, how does that take place? What do you see? Or is that a, even a, a relevant way of asking the question? What do you think, Mike? Yeah, I've heard our president, Eduardo Peñover, uh, talk about the idea of being one university mm. rather than a collection of somewhat decentralized and disconnected parts. Mm. I think it starts with each one of us, whether we're a faculty member, a staff member, or a student, seeing ourselves first and foremost as citizens of Seattle University. Mm-hmm. I think that's somewhat easier for for some of us in my area, which is marketing communications, for instance. Just by nature, we kind of have this wider lens of what's going on at the university. So it's kind of built into our work that we're going to view the university through that prism. For other offices, I think it's more challenging. I think they're a little more focused on a, you know, a more limited terrain and and so it takes a little more effort and work and trust really is as you put it to kind of connect what they're doing to something greater mm-hmm. so when i do see that when we do see that as as communicators that individual units of the university are kind of proactively coming together and connecting the dots and figuring it out mm-hmm. i think that concept alone is kind of worth elevating. That's a story in and of itself. But it also, those efforts usually lead to something very incredible happening. And so that provides another opportunity to, again, lift that up and show to the university community as a whole what's possible when we do break down those kind of artificial barriers of our own making and look at ourselves as being all kind of part of a greater whole. I don't know if that makes any oh, sense. It does. I love it. And the, and the, especially I think maybe that resonates for the, the listener to this sense, as you're mentioning of, you know, the artificialities around us. And maybe this pandemic has taught us something too about the need to have authenticity and honesty in our lives and just less of kind of, you know, to your word, artificiality. We want real things around us, don't we? We want honest relationships, honest friendships, real lives, real careers, things that feel tangible and tactile and yeah. and forthright, perhaps, for our lives. Yeah. Yeah. So I know the center is also pursuing scholarship and working with national and international partners. Can you talk a little more about both of those initiatives and why they matter? Yeah. No, I mean, I mean actually, to this point of the pandemic, I really appreciate that question, too, because the center has the Center for Ecumenical and Religious Engagement has made a commitment to insofar as we're in a Jesuit 
you know, progressive Jesuit Catholic university, which has a commitment to engaging the, the societal challenges all around us. At the center, our, our scholarship also wants to first identify, discern, and respond to those challenges by drawing together scholars who, you know, across disciplines, who bring certain perspectives that in the aggregate or alone are impressive enough, but together provide a kind of sinewed tapestry that brings about a more finessed or a larger, a deeper understanding of truth that neither one of these fields would be able to get to alone. So the wisdom in the room through Ignatian discernment, this kind of deeper sense of discerning and thinking about what we're hearing around this topic that we're discussing, whatever it may be, is that we know that truth arrives in the dialogue. And so we require this level of deeper discernment. So we've been doing that. And the project that we took on over the last three years was on how we understand the nature of gratitude, injury, and repair in a pandemic age. And we brought 13 scholars together from different fields, clinical psychologists, sociologists, philosophers, social historians, a theologian or two, and others. We met virtually, like everyone else was, for those two years. And we're just now, that volume is out with a, a reputable publisher. We can't say who they are yet because we're still working through the galleys, but it's exciting. It's exciting to me, I have to say, as a center director, because I really feel like it's credible work. I feel like it's a good volume that's important for the university, but, but also for society. And uh, we'll create an online platform or resource that will accompany the text so it can be used in local communities. And we think that's important too. But, but some of that work, I should say, you know, on the pandemic age, what we learned is, as what so many in the listening audience also know, what we've experienced in the last three years is not reducible to a virus alone. What we've experienced and witnessed from the January 6th insurrection to the kinds of protests that we've seen and around, not just nationally, but internationally, and a rise of populism that we see in that, as I mentioned earlier, kind of fragilities of democracy and the rise of kind of authoritarian spaces kind of around the world, is showing us that the tensions that we're experiencing in the world have introduced what for many feel like a really incoherent or kind of a new time that no one was really anticipating. And it's, it's testing the limits of our shared sense of narrative, how we understand the, uh, what's morally right, of how we interpret the nature of truth itself, of what we consider to be uh, appropriate responses, say, even to our neighbors. It feels like there's a kind of irrationality in the moment and it has a kind of viral quality. It's almost like a, a contagion. You're like, where the heck did all this come from? And why are we in this kind of context? It's up the ante on anxiety. And we know from statistics that, for instance, teenage anxiety is is up. And a you know, more sober point, I should say, you know, we know that not just depression, but um, suicide rates are up also in that demographic. And it's very serious. And so we're we're looking around the world and in this particular study, and we're referring to a pandemic age as something that is inclusive but not exhaustive of a virus itself. And those scholars who are able to discern that and then make some considerable headway about well, what's the nature of the injury that we're experiencing in a pandemic age, what would be then the possibility for a repair or restoration? And gratitude 
is actually maybe a strange word in that certainly it's not suggesting uh, any kind of gratitude for a pandemic age. It's actually suggestive of something else, which is whatever happens next in societies when it feels broken, the place of our return and recovery of our eventual repair and restoration will require a deeper sense of generosity, a kind of giving toward one another again that will elicit from one another somewhere deep down a germinal sense of thankfulness for one another. That sense of thankfulness is at the heart of this word gratitude. I had a, an opportunity to go present some of the findings of this at the La Havirana University, another Jesuit, fine Jesuit university in Bogota, Colombia in June. And a number of us presented some of the findings at a particular committee report at the United Nations in July. And so I'm really, really grateful to be a part of a team of people who are doing what I think is just phenomenally important work. It's just one part of what the center is doing. This concept you raised earlier, this biodiversity or greening of the center was coming down the pike. Well, it's great. I mean, I would encourage the listener when you have a chance to sign up for our monthly newsletter. You can find us at uh, seattleu.edu and then backslash uh, the center. I think that's right. It's backslash, isn't it? One of those. Yeah. That's front or back. Yeah. Front or back. They'll yeah. figure it out. They'll figure it out. <laughs> it's the center. It's a slash. Yeah, it's the slash. You'll put the center and, and explore that. On the front page, you'll see, you'll see a place to sign up for the newsletter. And in there, we have all kinds of events. And I'm, you know, you could hear it in my voice. I'm enthusiastic about all of these. And and the reason is because, and I appreciate you going back to that kind of greening of the center image, because it's very much aligned to what we said at the beginning. Each one of these options or opportunities, these learning or educational opportunities, are all aligned to one another, not as programs or, say, Lego blocks or, I don't know, train cars, but it's more organic. I mean, that's how learning should be, right? Education should allow us to grow and it should feel nutrient rich. And we should be able to see that we've, you know, matured like a, like a tree and, and that we're somehow more rooted through the experience as well as, as giving off a new life. And so I'm enthusiastic about a webinar series where we're lifting up former faculty, uh, Dr. Mark Lloyd Taylor, and a new book that he's brought out. We have Dr. Edward Donaldson and a text that he's worked out, uh, that he's brought out uh, last year. Both those are new books. But we're also lifting up community partners, such as the Faith Action Network and the executive director, Elise DeGoyer, uh, her uh, fine work there. And this is all in the Pacific Northwest. But then we have partners, say, from the United Nations, uh, Bruce Knotts, who will be talking about LGBTQIA uh, plus uh, communities and the kind of in some ways, this is a risk assessment globally that he's offering because he's Unitarian Universalist, but working out of the United Nations office. Those are webinars. We also have two workshop series happening this year. The first is our winter workshop series led by a very talented, sophisticated spiritual director in the region. Her name is Carla Orlando, and it's on the art of spiritual direction, its foundations, application, and practice. And that will take place in the winter. And I would encourage anyone who has interest in that to please come and register for that. 
we are responding to what we've heard from a number of people, which is we're interested in kind of going deeper to learning more about from ourselves and alongside others. What are the kinds of core purposes for our lives? This last three years, if you felt anemic through those times, we're providing the kinds of resources and opportunities in education that we think are going to respond to some of that and that kind of hunger for self-discovery. So that's a workshop I'm excited by. And finally, you know, there's more to say always, but I'm, I'm enthusiastic about what we're developing with the Parliament of the World's Religions, which is a course on religious literacy. It's not a course for in a degree program, let's say, in the university where all of our fine colleagues are working. It's a public resource course that enables others to come and learn. It's just five quick modules that ask questions about, well, what counts for like cultural or religious literacy? Like, What does it mean to be curious and engaged about other religious or philosophical ideas and traditions? And it's a cohort learning by which you get to explore some key ideas about how we understand idea, how we understand concepts like the transcendent or God or what is humanity and, and how do these different religious and, and philosophical traditions respond to core questions. And the fact that we're developing this with, with faculty and, and colleagues that are in the orbit of the parliament of the world's religions and doing this through the center, it just means a lot to me. And I'm just pleased that we're able to offer this and to put it together. That'll be coming forward in the next few months. So it's all in this academic year, and I think that this image of the greening of the center or bringing these kinds of ideas into organic life. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Trice. It's been really great to watch the center in its first year and, and all the wonderful things that, that it's accomplishing and, and to hear more about what's up ahead for uh, the second year. So this is uh, Mike Thee signing off with Dr. Michael Trice. Thank you very much. Hey, thank you, Mike. Thanks for the time. You've been listening to the Religica Theolab podcast in the Center for Ecumenical and Interreligious Engagement at Seattle University. To learn more about the center's work and for resources to be used in local communities, visit us at seattleu.edu slash the center.